Welcome to the Lead Gen Leaders Podcast, connecting you to the leading minds in home improvement to discuss all things marketing and leadership. And now, your host, Kyle Powers. Welcome to the Lead Gen Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Powers. And I have a unique episode for the listeners today. My guest today is also going to be speaking at LeadCon coming up here on May 19th and 20th. He holds the distinction of being the only Irish-born NBA player. Throughout his history of his career, he has played on six different championship teams between playing overseas as well as playing in the NBA. He played alongside players like Michael Jordan and Steve Nash, and even tells us at the end of the show a little bit about guarding Michael Jordan. Uh, He's really going to be sharing his truths of leadership principles and philosophies that transcend from sports into the business world. So here today is Pat Burke. Hello, Pat. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic also. Hey, really, really excited to have you on the show today uh, and to talk about your professional sports career, but more importantly, how those truths of great leadership and coaching uh, can really you know, transform into the business world and what that means, you know, for great teams. Uh, So welcome to the show. But before we really get started, could you give the listeners, you know, a little background on who you are? Sure. Um, You know, of course, my name is Pat Burke. I'm a a former professional basketball player. Uh, I would say that my my story didn't start out as a young man who had the goal of playing professional sports, but just, you know, a young kid, I'm the youngest of six. Um, I grew up, uh, I was born in Ireland, but I, I grew up uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, moved to Southwest Florida, where um, I started to gain some attention from, uh, for basketball. I got a scholarship, went and played 12 years professionally, um, you know, retired for, for quite some time now and uh, taken Know, what I've learned into uh, the business world and uh, you know just looking forward to this conversation today yeah absolutely um, and could you maybe you know some of the teams that you played for yeah uh, stateside I played for the Orlando Magic I played for the Phoenix Suns I went to college at Auburn um, overseas I played for Real Madrid in Spain one of the one of the bigger uh, teams, Panathinaikos in Athens, Greece. I played for uh, Himki in uh, uh, Moscow, Russia. Uh, played for Aseco Procom in Poland. I also played for Tau Ceramica in Vitoria, Spain. And then I played for another team in Athens called um, uh, Marusi uh, BC. Awesome. So you had quite a, a storied career there. And really, you hold the distinction of being the first and only Irish-born player to ever play in the NBA, correct? That's correct. Uh, you know, Ireland does uh, find the sport quite popular. It's just that uh, Ireland um, has its own uh, unique games. Uh, in a, in, it's through a, an organization called the GAA, the, the Gaelic Athletic Association, where they to play Irish football and hurling, and that would be more of the uh, more popular as far as uh, having the youth 
practicing those sports more than than a, a sport as widely known as basketball. Yeah, awesome. And uh, you know, before we really get into the conversation, uh, want to put out that you're going to be one of the the keynote speakers at LeadCon coming up here in Orlando, uh, May nineteenth and twentieth. And so I'm excited to get out a little bit of the information right here in the podcast of what the, the listeners can expect, you know, when they come to LeadCon. Um, and so let's really get into, uh, you know, the meat of the conversation here, Pat. So, um, you know, really with the addition of playing with some great players, the biggest thing is that you've had some great coaches and maybe some not so great coaches. Uh, and with us being at the, you know, in the coaching business at Tony Hody training and con, uh, consulting, that that's what we do on a daily basis is, you know, help coach, uh, our clients and, and their teams. Uh, but really most business owners are also really in the coaching business. Uh, they wear a lot of hats. Someday they're parents and babysitters to their employees. Other days they may be their financial players or uh, planners. Uh, some days they're psychologists and counselors, but always they are their coaches. Um, so one thing I, I'd really like to know is, uh, you know, in our pre-call, you had talked kind of the difference between two specific coaches uh, that you had in your career and really what kind of the difference is between either a bad coach and a good coach or even the difference between a, a good coach and a great coach. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I appreciate you giving me this opportunity to speak about this. Uh, I look at it in a way in which, you know, when, when you're looking to achieve something, you know, it's you are either moving forward effectively or ineffectively. And those those are two words that I, I, I stress a lot because I don't look for right or wrong, uh, good or bad, just ineffective or effective. You know, and especially in business, you know, when you're when you're looking to move something metrically, you know, and you're, you're trying to hit milestones, whether that's hours you know, in time or that's, you know, financial goals. Obviously, those are numbers. But now we're now we're dealing with, like you shared, leaders. So leaders who have to, you know, work on all these spinning plates, you know, wearing all these different hats. They've got to look to see how do I keep moving that needle on some days when some people aren't capable of, of creating effectiveness in their positions or their roles. So when I was a kid, um, Way back in the uh, the late '80s, um, I, I first start out started out trying to play basketball at, uh, at the age of 16, and what I had was a lot of potential in my size, and I had an understanding of concepts. I understood competitiveness, I understood respect, all these one. I understood teamwork, but I had, I was I was transitioning from ice hockey from eight years of ice hockey with this great growth spurt, and then going into basketball, and the first coach, the first leader that I met in the basketball world was uh, someone who was autocratic. Um, you know, not not to share if, if the audience doesn't know what the autocratic space is, it's when people just tell you what to do. They're only, you know, they're just saying, hey, go do this, go do that, do it like this, do it like that. So there's a, there's a little bit of righteousness there. Now, looking back from now in self-reflection, um, at 16, I, I wasn't able to navigate why the coach was speaking like this. You know, maybe it was pressure, maybe it was ego, but, you know, he was looking to win or to bring me to some space as fast as he could. And I don't think that's um, a way that's effective as far as, you know, harnessing energy and working together. You know, a lot of a lot of the great coaches I've had were motivators, you know, and I think what this person was doing was actually working a little bit out of fear. 
you know, like telling me what I could be and what I couldn't be and putting a lot of limitations on it. So the second coach that I had when I moved from, from that town and it was, you know, it was going from Cleveland, Ohio, all the way down to Cape Coral, Florida. The next coach that I had, um, approached me in a, in a totally different way. There was a lot of, you know, thought provoking questions. Hey, you know, what would you, what would you want to do with your future? What, what, what could you do with the sport of basketball? And in my mind, after the, I had met the first coach, I was already done with basketball, but the world saw this six, seven, you know, kid with potential and they kept influencing me to say, Hey, you should try basketball. You should try. So even if I had my mindset on, I didn't want to play anymore. This new coach, he didn't push me or force me. He just kept asking these questions. And, you know, I, I, I've shared to a lot of people, my, my own father didn't ask me questions like that. So this was a new way of a leader approaching, you know, let's see if I can uh, communicate with him you know, myself, and let's see if I can communicate and, 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 and almost have him come up with the answers, even if the honest answer at sometimes is, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's great things. Um, kind of to go back to your, your first point there, you know, are you moving things forward, you know, kind of positively or negatively, you know, forward movement or, or backward movement. And, um, you know, I know when I coach a lot of marketers, I, I say the things that we say can come across one of three ways. It can come across negatively. It can come across kind of neutral or could come across positively. And we want to try to get everything we say and do when we're conversing, uh, you know, with a customer and the same thing with, yeah, as leaders, uh, when you're conversing with the people that are, you know, that you're leading is try to use verbiage and language and say the things that try to move everything positively and stay away from the neutral and negative talk. So it's interesting to, to, to hear you say that. What are your kind of thoughts on that? Well, there's something you said inside that that I always find very interesting, and it's that's the word "try." You know, uh, like we should try to do this. Well, trying is when you when you're looking to to achieve something, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. And again, is going back to these two, you know, almost industries, sports or business. You know, people are people. The, the platform of sports just provides an understanding of this is how people are making choices when they're facing adversity or when they're facing success or like, like, like how are they choosing to, to, to move and react. In business, it's the same way. So when we, when we talk about the trying part of it, I think that, you know, we're all, we're all looking to become our best selves. And the word trying is only as effective as if we have self-reflection. So if I've tried something and it did or didn't work, do I have enough responsibility to self-reflect on what's happening? And that's a big part of leadership, you know, especially in business. And a lot of times the benefit of working on this can only come from having a mentor or a very special person in your life who can be real with you. Like you said, you, know, you work with people if they don't have that outlet, and it's very important, I think, to have it outside of the workspace, um, if they don't have that outlet to actually look back, maybe write down notes, how did I handle that meeting? How did I handle that conversation with somebody who's you know, ineffective at what they're doing? They are irresponsible about how their relationships are. You know, very, I know I'm going a little bit all over the place, but a very, very smart person once told me that there's, there's really no such thing as business. Business is a word that we create to be in relationships with one another. So you're the same person you are at business as you are at home, 
on the basketball court, climbing a mountain on a, on a, on a family road trip, you're the same person, but are you capable of self-reflection in becoming your best self? So that, that word try is to me is very interesting when I hear people say that. Yeah. And I, and I agree with you. And I know in one of our pre-calls, we talked about that self-reflection a lot. I know for myself, uh, you know, my career and life really, because like you said, we're the same person everywhere really took off when I was able to have that, that honest self-reflection, you know, of myself. I, I had a, uh, you know, kind of life coach at one point that talked about how every day is essentially a game. So you have 365 games a year, you know, are you, are you a winning team? Are you a 500 team? Are you a losing team? And what he's meaning by that is at the end of every day, you know, are you able to self-reflect and be honest? You know, did I win the day? Did I lose the day? You know, what can I do better at? What do I need to change to get to where I want to be? So um, I'm kind of glad you went off on that a, a little bit to talk about that because we share a lot of those same philosophies. Um, so going on from there, Pat, uh, you had played on six different championship teams at various levels throughout your career. Uh, what are some of the traits that you contribute to winning teams and winning cultures, you know, maybe versus some losing team and losing cultures? Uh, and then to finish that question up, you know, what types of those traits are best practices that you really see that cross, you know, the boundaries from sports to business? Yeah, I think one of the, the major um, factors in it was people, um, you know, a winning team, you know, not, not to get cliche, but they have to have, you know, people in position. Now, again, I'm not saying the right people in the right position, because I, again, as I don't like to get into right or wrong, they need to have people who are effective in a role that they can be effective in. So I'm not a very good administrator. So if I was to start a business up, self-reflecting and saying, you know what, I, I don't need to be my administrator. I need to get somebody who's best in that department. Then I start to win. So some of the things that we recognized in these championship teams were the people were extremely effective at the role that they were given. You know, And again, as if you go into your typical point guard, two guard, three guard, you know, power forward center, you know, maybe they didn't fit or look uh, or react the way that uh, the, the standard model looks, but they were extremely effective at what they were doing. And when you get that formula together, you know, that was one of the things that there's no way we're achieving that amount of success without those, those people to be effective at what they're doing. That's just one factor. Um, I'd say, I'd say the other one, which it's, it's interesting because it, it really has a time lock on it. Now, this goes back into the autocratic space. A number of championships I had, the coaches were extremely autocratic. They, they, they coached out of fear. You know, so they threatened a lot of us with, hey, you're not going to get the day off if you don't do this. You're not going to do this. They yelled at us. You know, they, they're just, you know, they wanted to drive the needle towards wins. But at the end of the day, none of us would fight for that person. You know, I, I, I mean, on honestly, I remember one of our coaches who probably is one of the most successful coaches in Europe. It was his 50th or 60th birthday or something, some big milestone in his life. And he had this big celebration in, in uh, Belgrade, Yugoslavia, and he was inviting all the players. I'm like, I'm not going to that. And, and that just goes back to, you know, why would I not go to it? Because... I don't think 
we were building a relationship. I think we were fulfilling an agenda that was about his ego. So that was a big, then I go back to other coaches that I've had were extremely great motivators and they created a democratic space at times where, Hey, how would you, how would you guys want to handle this? And they brought us into the fold in some of the decision-making and those, those coaches are friends for life. Those coaches, like they, you know, not to again, not to create, like they were player coaches. Like they came from a space of understanding where we were at and they understood the magnitude of empowering us with the ability to, you know, take up the steering wheel for a little bit, you know, even though we knew they were the leader in that position. So those were amazing, amazing coaches to be around. Um, and then I'd say the last part, which is which is so key to it, is uh, is the culture they create. You know, when you create a culture of fear, people are less likely to talk. People are less likely to stay stick around. People are less likely to talk about your business or service. You know, when they're out to eat in a positive light, they're more likely to talk about what's happening and the unfair or the unjust situation in a culture where it's motivating, you know, and how we approach, you know, getting ready for games, how we approach celebrating, I think then you you have the exact same situation of I want to speak testimonials, I want to share how this is exceeding expectations. And then a lot of people, you know, that they they get that understanding just like in business, word of mouth is powerful. If I'm out in the in the league that I'm in whether it's in Poland, Russia, Greece, the NBA, if I'm talking about how great one of the coaches is, before you know it, that that coach is on a short list of people that people want to interview or they want to be around, they want to talk about because word is out that this person is a motivator. And just like the other person, you know, their their testimonials that are going out is this person's unfair, this person is threatening, this person is, uh, you know, getting you know players injured. So I'd say those are, those are uh, you know, pretty key variables inside of it. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And and just as you're speaking there, you know, I'm thinking about the different companies that I've worked in and or, you know, worked with consulting and coaching and, and uh, kind of weighing those those good and bad things in in the difference there in the in the culture and, you know, the companies that have, uh, you know, a, a central office, maybe that's making all the decisions very autocratic, just pushing it on people, and they're kind of almost out of touch with, you know, the people they're really leading and coaching compared to the companies that, like you said, kind of have that, uh, that feedback loop where, you know, the employees can also add their thoughts, you know, they're the ones really the, the boots on the street that are getting the job done and put that feedback. And that's where they, you know, instead of just doing, you know, as they're told to do, they're doing it because they want to do it. And they feel that they have a vested interest in doing that. Um, and, and then just seeing, you know, what you're talking about going to your, uh, you know, coach's birthday party or, you know, or, or not in, in the different leaders uh, that I've been around and their companies that, you know, some have holiday parties that are packed full of their employees with their significant others. And everybody, you know, can't wait to go there to other ones that they don't even have a party anymore because no one shows up. And I think that just goes to, you know, the culture that, that you talk about and, and how that leader is portrayed throughout the business. Yeah, well, let me let me add something to there because again, as I want to be respectful to the, 
you know, when, when we share, and, and I'm not saying that you're saying this, but when we share autocratic, there is a space for, and a moment for autocratic where it's, where it's extremely successful and ex- extremely effective. You know, like when we're sitting there and a, a chaotic situation happens and someone gets injured and we don't have the education to actually whatever, stop the bleeding, fix the bone, set the bone, you know, a paramedic comes up and they go into autocratic mode because they have the education, they confidently know what to do. So they start telling people what to do in that moment. And that's a life-threatening situation. We all appreciate that person took it over. So there are moments, like at the end of a game, you're in the last seven seconds, a coach takes the authority, takes the, he's not going democratic with people on what the offense is. <laughs> he's going right. to tell everybody. But, but we're appreciative of it because there's, there's a confidence base. When you have a boss or a leader who stays autocratic, for months at a time, there is a overwhelming understanding of a micro macro sense. It's like the micro is, is we're in a day to day operation, but it's almost like they haven't planned the macro out. They're already locked in that micro moment, but it's micro moment after one, after the other, after the other. So now the culture is I'm in a panic situation all the time. So then it goes back to, well, is the process working? Is this Again, is this the most effective person at this position? And not to get too far into another subject, but sometimes it's okay to realize that maybe you're not the person. And then, like like I said, like I'm not an administrator. So maybe I'm looking for the opportunity to partner with someone. And sometimes in, in leadership, you know, it's better to rest and exercise kind of a, a student education and allowing somebody else to step in. But a lot of times with business owners, with their money, with their investment, with their property, they're the ones that are taking on everything so that they're they're, they're actually going to take on, you know, the, the stress and the nervousness. And then they're building the culture, whether they know it or not. Yeah, I agree. Uh, thanks for defining that out a lot because that uh, that totally makes sense. And I agree with you. There's there's moments uh, for all sides of that. And I think uh, really what I hear you saying is that the people that balance when it's needed most uh, on both sides of that really are the ones that get the job done uh, at the end of the day. Uh, and so that brings us, um, to the next question here, you know, at Tony Hody training and consulting, uh, we really help our clients focus on what we call our three P's to success. First one being philosophy. The second one is people. And lastly, having the right processes dialed in. Um, and, and what do you see elements of that, uh, ideology on some of the winning teams, you know, that you've played with in the past. And I know we've already touched base on some of that, uh, but again, just kind of tying it together here at the end of, you know, philosophy, people and process. Well, I, I love I love these three. Um, you know, the idea of, of philosophy is only as good as the action steps and the belief in it. So it's like, you know, when you when you are actually acting it out, walking the walk, you know, that that to me, when you're walking the talk you're actually taking on what is this club about? And, and people like when they, when they walk into a new town or like when I was, when I traveled all over the world, I, I walked into different cultures, right? So I knew what their belief systems were and what, you know, what they had the value of money, the value of time, what they spent, you know, what, what they like to do as far as dinner. And like, so you see a lot of that. So there's, there's a little bit of a philosophy behind it and they're actually walking that they're walking it. So, in, a, in an organization, you know, if people are showing up late, they're, they're making choices, 
or if you know if people are are just nonchalant about relationships or how they're calling people back, it's the same thing. In sports, if we don't take on some sort of way of preparation for the game that's you know with some seriousness and effectiveness, then the philosophy is everything is it's okay if we win or lose. So I think that's a big one for me. You know, that's that's you know when you when you look at someone's big mission statement and how they're they're actually taking that on how they're actually taking the steps involved in it. And then you, you know, you, you find yourself, if they're doing it, you believe in it. You know, you, you don't know why, but then you're speaking how, how positive that is. Um, I think we went over the people side of things because, you know, I agree is, you know, people are, you know, a team is what's going to, to, to move something forward or stay neutral or, you know, or, or go backwards. And a lot of times for leaders, that can keep you up at night. You know, I think that, uh, you know, whether it's coaching in sports or it's a business, you know, you, you, you really have to look at, you know, because, you know, you take business, you put it in different departments and your organizational chart, you got to sit there and go, okay, you know, this is almost like the most impossible Rubik's cube to fix or, or to solve. It's like, you know, do I have this person in a space where they can effectively take care of the role and also delegate, you know, other roles and positions to other people. So as you start to go up that chain, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's extremely challenging. Um, and then, of course, process. Um, I think, uh, how would I say this? Sometimes I look at when people want to talk about process, I look at not what's successful, what's not, what's not successful. So, you know, I, again, in the sports industry, you have a lot of people that want to help their kids to get more effective at something. I didn't say get better, get, you know, get more effective skill sets, get, you know, do, you know, uh, strength train more effectively. But the industry is so overwhelmed with hack that a lot of the time people just go through the motions and they say, Hey, we're going to get a, we're going to get some weights. And we're going to put them in the garage. Well, you know, there's, there is percentages that say how people can stunt growth and can get injured and they can, you know, focus on the wrong muscle groups and, and, and they can actually uh, hurt themselves later on with flexibility and all kinds of things. But a lot of times with process, it takes a long time to actually create an effective process for things, you know, whether it's the first call that comes in that, you know, that goes to a lead that goes to a sale you know, again, is they all lead so, so much together that if you got the wrong, if you got the wrong, if you got an ineffective person and they're not following the philosophy that you put together, then the process is going to be, is going to be struck. And so again, as with, when I go into sports, you know, going into practice, going into getting rest, going into how we take care of, uh, you know, pregame meal to how do we execute during the game? How do we take on the first quarter, second, all the way to the fourth, you know, and everything from where that coach has to take care of all of that and all the different departments. That's, that's a, that's a big time job. So, um, yeah, I see, I see so much of this. I could spend all day talking about it in each one of these different things, but, uh, they all, they all really link into each other because, you know, not no one is more important than the other if they're not um, if they're not uh, again if they're not effective. Absolutely, and so Pat, that really uh, brings us to the last section of the show. Power's powerful point. Uh, what powerful point uh, do you have for the listeners today? I, I'm going to go back 
to what I shared earlier. And I think a part of any person's growth is not always looking to get ahead, but sometimes just looking back, self-reflection. Um, you know, many times in games, you go in and you have the you have the best process, and you've got the philosophy, and you've got the right moves, but something didn't work. And so you go back and you watch video. And video is one of the purest forms of uh, identifying what you have done in the past. No one's telling it to you. No one's, no one's creating their opinion. You're actually watching what you did. And that can be extremely powerful for preparing for the next moment. And so I would say that, you know, self-reflection is, is a big piece of, of any person's growth. And to do it, you need something outside of yourself. You know, we all don't have a video camera with all, I know there's a lot of security cams, but we need somebody like a mentor or a business leader or someone to assist. And if you can find that relationship, it's more powerful because they're going to give you an honest approach to what you've been doing and an honest approach of how to help you to be a better person. And that goes back in and relates to being more effective or ineffective in the future. Absolutely. And so, hey, really enjoyed having you on the show today and, um, you know, to, to talk to a professional sports players, always, uh, always fun. Uh, and in the NBA and in the different championships that you won, uh, super excited to be having you speak at LeadCon uh, and the people coming there. We certainly do have uh, a few sponsor tickets left yet, uh, but they are going quickly. You know, you can log into TonyHody.com to claim uh, your sponsor ticket, which brings uh, the cost all the way down to $95, you know, a person to uh, come to the event for two days and, and be able to see you, Pat. Um Talking about, you know, some of the different championships and just, uh, you know, a little bit, you know, about your career. Uh, what was the the years that you played? I, well, I went, I went off to college in 92. Uh, I, I redshirted a year. Um, so I was at school for five. So I, I came out. 97 was my last year in college. So I played 12 years uh, from 1998 all the way up to 2009. Well, 12, 12 seasons. So, yeah, so I played five years overseas before I made the jump back to play for the NBA for the Orlando Magic when I became the first NBA player, uh, with, you know, from Irish-born NBA player. And then I went back overseas, uh, played for two years. Uh, and then I got a contract to play two years for the Phoenix Suns. And then I went back uh, again and played in Russia and Poland to end in 2009. Awesome. And it sounds like uh, you've even, you know, guarded some players like Michael Jordan at one point, um, you know, talking about business and, and excellence and, and someone growing in their, uh, you know, career and stuff. How was it, uh, you know, to play at, with some of those high caliber players such as yourself to guard someone like that? Um, it's, 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 it's something you work for. You know, I, I think everybody has the ability where they, they've done something so many times that they're confidently doing it. It's like, they, they don't even know they're doing it. And I had a number of fans who would come up to me during my career and, Hey, how did you do this? And I didn't even realize I had done something. So let's say sensational or spectacular in their mind. But when you meet a person or you're around a person who does that on a nightly basis, that's something special. So, you know, I've played with a number of great players, you know, such as Tracy McGrady, played with Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire. I played against Shaq, but I had an opportunity to play uh, Michael Jordan. And um, it, it's it's funny because I wasn't in the rotation 
at the time when we were playing for the four, uh, the three uh, previous periods when we played uh, uh, the Washington Wizards, which was the the last team that Michael played for. So it's o two o three, and uh, before the fourth game, you know, I, I took the initiative to walk up to Doc Rivers and I said, you know, hey Doc, uh, you know, I know I'm not in the rotation, but if there's an opportunity to get in, uh, if you know, if we're up twenty or down twenty. I'd love to be able to share with my kids and grandkids one day that I got to play Michael Jordan. And, you know, this is my one impression of Doc Rivers with, with his raspy voice. He's like, Pat, you've never played Michael Jordan. And I'm like, uh, no. So we get up to uh, D.C. And um, so Doc gets to the point where uh, we're at the end of the game. And, man, 50 of the greatest players – are at the game, you know, they do this tribute to Michael. It's the second to last game of the season for the Wizards. And um, so in the last minute and a half, he calls me up and I, I got up so fast, Kyle. I, really, <laughs> I bet you. I, I've never run so fast in my life. And when I was checking in, uh, Michael Jordan was at the uh, out of bounds line because Washington was inbound of the ball. So when I got to half court to check in, I look out and I was trying to see who I was guarding. You know, it was like Christian Leitner or I think Brendan Haywood was on that team at the time. And and I'm looking out and uh, everybody, every one of our Magic players, my teammates has got someone. So I just turn and I'm like, oh my gosh, I got Mike. And Mike is just looking at me and he's just like, hey, just don't hurt me, big fella. <laughs> they to him, I'm like, hey, Mike, you're going to do what you want to do. You know, like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm I'm blessed to have had the career I had, but I'm sitting there with Michael Jordan on a night where it's his like farewell game in DC and 50 of the greatest are out in the crowd. Like, what am I going to really try to defend him and hurt him? So, you know, it's, it's interesting to know that if that had been the last game, I would have been the last NBA player to have guarded him, you know, in a season, but they actually had one more game after that. So it was, uh, it was in because I only played him for, you know, about a minute and a half, but I held my own. I kept him scoreless. There Just you saying. go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, so uh, again, really looking forward to seeing you at LeadCon and, and getting to know you a little bit more and to see you speak with uh, the wisdom that you've certainly shared with us today. Uh, and I think a lot of that does come from that self-reflection that you had and, and have really dug in there. So again, thank you so much for being on the show today. And I look forward to seeing you at LeadCon May 19th and 20th. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to the Lead Gen Leaders Podcast. For a free consultation on how Tony Hody Training and Consulting can assist with your home remodeling business, please visit TonyHody.com. That's T-O-N-Y-H-O-T-Y.com. Thank you for listening.